You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. I don't know about you, I love December. I used to be a primary school teacher, and uh, in those days, I mean, I've got to be honest, this was 20 years ago when I was teaching, I used to say to my class on the 1st of December, right, put all your books away, all we're going to do is fun now until the Christmas holidays. I used to have tinsel around all the windows, I used to have flashing lights, I'd have snowflakes, I'd have paper chains. The rest of the staff nicknamed my classroom Santa's Grotto. I love Christmas music. I love having neighbours round from mild wine and mince pie. I love the Christmas specials. I don't know what it is you're looking forward to this year. Doctor Who, Bake Off. I love school Christmas plays. This is a little confession. I used to be a school governor when my kids were in primary school because the governors always had a reserved seat on the front row for the Christmas plays. And I used to think, I want to get as close as I can to watch the Christmas play. I love seeing my family. I love time off. I love giving presents. I love the fact that I get to eat chocolate every day for breakfast. Put your hand up if you have a chocolate advent calendar. Yeah, you see, I'm not on my own, am I? Apparently, the first chocolate advent calendar was created in 1958, but it didn't really take off until the 80s. Now, I know because it's been going since the 80s that actually there's so many other things. You could buy, this is for adults, an advent calendar which has got 24 different rubbers that you could take to work. I'm not quite sure why adults need 24 rubbers at work, but there is an advent calendar like that. You could get another one that's got a little whiskey behind everyone, a beauty product behind everyone, cheese behind everyone. You can even buy advent calendars for your pets. Anybody know where the largest advent calendar in the world was? Now I'd like to say we've knocked the Americans out of the park. It was here in London. In London, St Pancreas Station was turned into an advent calendar. We have the Guinness World Record for the largest advent calendar in the world. Anyone know the most expensive advent calendar in the world? I have a picture of this on the next one. Most expensive advent calendar in the world? 2.1 million pounds. Look very carefully. Every glass has got a number on it. You take it out and you tip out the diamonds from that day. Now, the reality is this whole thing of Advent, and we're going to be looking at Advent for these next four weeks leading up to Christmas, we don't know how far back it goes. We know that people have been looking at Advent since 1,500 years ago. In Germany, they used to do 24 chalk marks on the door, and every day they'd rub out one chalk mark until they counted down to Christmas. That's how they used to do it. In France... I don't quite understand this, but it must be true. I read it on the internet. Children under 12 were given torches, not like nice electrical ones, a fire, and they used to run through the fields and set light to the hay because apparently it would kill off any vermin, and so hopefully that was good for the next year. That was an Advent tradition in France. In Italy, apparently the Advent tradition is the playing of bagpipes. And apparently if you're from the north... They reckon the Advent tradition of old was there was two dolls that was carried round from house to house. One was of Mary and one was of Jesus. 
And you were meant to have seen the dolls in Advent, otherwise you'd have bad luck for the next year. What's all this got to do with church? Where am I going? What's this got to do with the Bible? Well, like I say, we're going to be looking at Advent for the next four weeks. Advent is a period of preparation. You see, for hundreds of years, they've, we've celebrated we're looking forward to something. Actually comes from the Latin word adventus, which means coming. Ultimately, we're looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. We're ultimately celebrating his birth. Jesus sent by God to die on a cross for the forgiveness of sins and save us all. His death, meaning that whoever believes in him, would not die but have eternal life. For many of us, Christmas is the start, therefore, the beginning of the gospel story. But actually, I'm going to be talking from the Old Testament. So what on earth has the Old Testament got to do with Advent and Christmas? Well, before I look at this, I'd love to pray. Father, we we look forward in so many different ways. I pray you to open our eyes to understand from your Bible what they were looking forward to. We don't just want our heads to be given information. We want our hearts to be changed. We want our lives to be different because we sit under your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Advent, the story, Christmas, where do we go to? Well, I guess ultimately we go to Matthew and Luke. You know there's four accounts of the life of Jesus in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew and Luke are the two that actually record about his birth. Matthew, we hear about the wise men or the magi. Luke, we hear all about the shepherds. But actually, in amongst these stories, we hear something of historical authenticity. What was this really about? Matthew begins with the genealogy of Christ. And we could see, actually, we've got it coming up here, if you were to look at the genealogy of Jesus, that actually Jesus was from the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Jesse, and David, and every single one of those names had been spoken of in the Old Testament. So actually, we suddenly think, oh, the Old Testament was probably looking forward more than we realize. We could suddenly think, oh, Jesus coming was suddenly a Mary and Joseph thing, but actually when you look at this, right from Abraham, Genesis, first book of the Bible, meaning beginnings, It's got Abraham, actually from your line, there'll be somebody that will change nations. You will impact and bless the world. They were speaking of Jesus. And that is true of Isaac and Jacob and Judah and Jesse, David, David known as the greatest, that he was the second king of Israel. But it's almost like from your line, David, there's going to be someone who's going to have a kingdom forever. David had thought, you know what, I've built, I'd love to build God a house. And God says, actually, you can't build the house, but I want you to know from your house there will be a house that will be established forever. And so if you look through the Old Testament, actually, there was an anticipation. They were not opening doors like we might do on Advent. They were not necessarily eating chocolates every day for breakfast, but there was an expectation in people's hearts right from the beginning of the Bible, we're looking for something. There's a preparation. There will be a saviour coming. 
Luke, we know, I told you, Matthew wrote an account and Luke wrote an account. We know Luke was a doctor. We know that he wrote this orderly account because he wanted people to understand something of who Jesus was. We're going to be looking at, and I wish I could go into loads of these. In fact, I read this week there are 312 prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. So actually, 312 times in the, in the first half of the book, if you look at the Bible like that, the Old Testament, there were these words that were saying, there will be, there will be. It wasn't just actually you open up and you take a chocolate. You open up and somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. It's not just, oh, you've got diamonds. Actually, there's something of infinite value that is coming. I wish I could go through them all. I'm not going to go through them all. I'm not trying to panic here. Things like the virgin birth. Mary and Joseph were not married. You can read that in Matthew. But actually, you could also understand that Isaiah, who was a prophet in the Old Testament, had said this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And so there was this man of God that was speaking to the people of God, and it's almost like he was opening a door for them and saying, do you know, one day this virgin will give birth. One day this Messiah will come. One day there will be this revelation. Oh, wow. The fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem was another door that had been opened in the Old Testament. Micah, who was another prophet, says this, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. It's almost like, wow, there's going to be this ruler, and actually being established. Oh, he was opening a door. He was pointing to this Messiah. And so throughout the Old Testament, it's almost like they were counting down. Just as in Advent, we can count down... So it's Christmas Day, the revelation of Jesus. They were doing that throughout the Old Testament. Some pretty gruesome things were revealed as well. If you know the, the, the Bible story about the life of Jesus, the king was beside himself. And he said, you know what? He found out when this child was born. And he said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to kill this child. So he killed every child under the age of two, thinking, I must have got the boy. The king was so afraid. That had been spoken of in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 31, this is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It's almost like, hey, I just want you to understand that when this terrible massacre occurs, I knew we actually know that Jesus didn't die. Why? Because there was a, a, an angel who said, come on, wake up, wake up. Joseph, I, I want you to see this vision. I want you to realize you've got to take your family. You've got to take them to safety. You've got to flee. And the place you're to go is Egypt. And so that's what Joseph does. He obeys the prompting. He gets up and he runs off to Egypt. Hosea had prophesied even this in the Old Testament. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. 
So just the Christmas story, in these details, in Matthew and Luke, it's almost like, hey, you know you were told about that? Now it's happening. You know you were told to look for that? Now it's happening. Wow. Actually, if we were to go through the Gospels, we could see it time after time after time. It's almost like, I want you to look forward to this because something's coming. I want you to be excited. Something is coming. Now, some of you, you think, Really? The details, as I said, 312 times. Jesus rode into Jerusalem uh, just before he was to die on a donkey. Well, that had been prophesied. You can read about the event in Matthew 21, but you can read about the prophesy, prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9. It's almost like, hey, your king will come riding on a donkey. Oh, Jesus came riding on a donkey. Why? Because for years they'd been opening these doors. It tells us in Psalm 41 that Jesus will be betrayed by a friend. Well, actually, you can read that happens in John 13, doesn't it? Because Judas Iscariot goes and says, I'll sell him for you. I'll get him for you. That had been told long ago. In fact, it had even been told in Zechariah how much Jesus would be sold for. It says he'll be sold for 30 pieces of silver. And if you read in Matthew 26, that's exactly what happened. Now, if you know the Bible, you know that Judas was filled with remorse and he ended up going and throwing the money back. And and they thought, what do we do with this? It's almost blood money. We can't keep it. And so they ended up buying a field. That, That was also described in the Old Testament. You can read about the event in Matthew 27. You can read about the fact it was prophesied in Zechariah 11. The fact that the Messiah would die a sacrificial death That was prophesied in Daniel 9 and Isaiah 53. We see it happen in Matthew 27. The fact that, I mean, how many more details do we get into? Many of these, to be honest, Jesus wasn't in control of where he was born or where his father took him, but God in heaven was in control of. And so it's suddenly, oh, wow. I can find 25 days a long time to wait for Christmas. They'd been waiting literally for centuries, for this Messiah to be revealed. There were so many details that they could look back on. In fact, it tells you in Isaiah 53 that Jesus would die with criminals, where we know that he died on the cross next to robbers. It also tells us in Isaiah 53 that he would be buried amongst the rich. Well, we know that when he was taken off the cross, he was put into the tomb of Joseph of Amarathea. Wow! And that had been described hundreds of years before. We know that he was to rise from the dead. It's described about that in Psalm 16 and Isaiah 15. Obviously, we know in Matthew that happens. Even the words that Jesus would say on the cross were described in the Old Testament. And the fact that the guards would sit there and think, let's not rip his clothes. Let's gamble them. Let's throw some dice. Whoever wins the dice, they get to keep the clothes. That had been described. So in many respects, the opening of windows that we do for Advent had happened page after page, book after book of the Old Testament. Hey, these people were looking forward to something. I therefore would like to suggest that Jesus Christ is the perfect fulfillment of the law. So let's say... The Christmas story should not begin in Bethlehem. The Christmas story 
had been promised as a Messiah to Israel hundreds of years before. Even when Jesus is a young child and his parents, we know, take him to the temple to say, thank you, God, for this child. And when they're there, you can read about it in Luke's account, they bump into this old man. His name is Simeon. Simeon literally is physically almost blind, but he's been waiting because God has told him that he will see this Messiah. And when he's, the child is literally placed into his hands, he, he says to God, here he is. There was an understanding that, that something had happened. He realized the Christmas story wasn't just about this Bethlehem, but he realized actually what God had promised for years to look forward to was now about to happen. So I told you that Matthew and Luke describe it. One of the other Gospels, John, he does it in a slightly different way. And when John introduces the whole thing of Jesus, he goes like this in John Chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the Gospel of John we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. If you are new to church, I never suggest start on the Gospel of John. I'd always say, if you've never read the Bible before, start on the Gospel of Mark. It's a much easier start. But actually, what John is really saying is in the beginning, he's referring back to, oh, Genesis, the first book of the Bible, starts in the beginning. And so what he's doing is he's connecting Christ to creation. And actually, what he's trying to say is, look, in the beginning, yeah, we could suddenly say, oh, it's Jesus on on earth. But actually, you've got to understand Jesus was there at creation. And in fact, at creation, it says, let us make them in our image. Jesus wasn't just a baby who was born 2,000 years ago. I believe Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all involved in creation right in the beginning. And so what John is trying to say is, hey, this Christ, this, this window that's now been opened, it was being prophesied right at the beginning of time. That's before Abraham, which was the earliest one I got up here before In fact, I would even go as far to say this. The Christmas story begins before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world. You see, the danger is that if we just go back to Moses or the prophets or to Abraham and the covenant that they're always looking forward to, we don't really understand the whole gospel. You see, if we don't understand the Old Testament and God's plan and God's purpose, what we end up thinking is the Christmas story is plan B. Well, God created, things didn't work out, we understand that, and so therefore we had to think, oh, I think of a plan B. What's my plan B? My plan B is I'll I'll send my son, he will go, he'll be a child, he'll live, he'll die, and maybe you can accept him. Whereas actually, if we understand the Bible is an entirety, the Christmas story, even before creation... You could read this in Ephesians. Paul is writing to the church. Even before creation, God had a plan and a purpose. Wow. It's almost like God wasn't taken by surprise in the events of history. God who lives outside of time and thought, you know what? I will send my son. So the Christmas story, this sense of expectation of what he was looking forward to. Before he created the world, God determined to save sinners through the blood of his own son. God determined to bring glory to himself through the salvation of a people redeemed and purchased by his own son, 
the Christ. Bethlehem and Calvary were essential parts of God's plan from the beginning. Before the cosmos was brought into being, as the Son obeyed the will of the Father in creation. John writes in John 1 verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen his glory. It's almost like the Word that was associated with God actually became flesh. Okay, so I've now landed in the Christmas story, says John, 14 verses into his gospel. I think, wow, this is what we're in anticipation about. How does that relate to us as a church today? What's all this got to say? You may say, actually, Pete, that's really interesting. I'd, I'd only ever thought of the Christmas story as suddenly, you know, I don't know, there's a, a, a census and they all go wandering off on a donkey and suddenly there's a birth and we've got the Christmas story. Suddenly we've realized it's so much bigger. And how does Advent and Counting Down impact us today? Well, I honestly believe, according to the Bible, that we are in the last days. It says that in Acts 2, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I pour out my spirit. It always tells, tells us that in Hebrews, these are two letters written in the New Testament. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So just like the Old Testament were waiting and waiting, this period of what I'm calling extended Advent for the Messiah... The church is now in a period of waiting for the return of Christ. And so it's almost like we are now living in this just as the Old Testament were living in this. They had to look at these snips. They had to believe what God was saying. They knew that one day it would happen. We are now in a similar situation. Israel in the Old Testament, in exile, waiting and hoping in prayerful expectation for the coming of the Messiah. Israel would look back to God's gracious actions on their behalf in leading them out of Egypt. They thank God for what he'd done, but they also looked forward. Think, oh, we're believing for this Messiah. As a church, surely we should be looking back and constantly thanking God. I think as we come to the end of 2017, we look back and we say, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your blessings in my life. Thank you, Father, how generous you've been. But we're also looking forward in this whole sense of what's God saying? What is God saying? I don't know that I've ever read a catechism of the Catholic Church to this um, church before. But I was reading one this week and I thought it sums these things up very well. When the church celebrates the liturgy of Advent each year, she makes present this ancient expectation of the Messiah. For by sharing in the long preparation for the Messiah's first coming, the the faithful renew their ardent desire for the second coming. Isn't that amazing? Hey, they they were faithfully looking for his first coming. As a church, we're believing for him to come again. In Advent, we look back as well as looking forward. Esther Marie's getting baptized this morning. Love it. Can't wait. We're going to hear her story in just a moment. Get the kids back in. We're going to celebrate. We'll all be around the pool. 
I think this is a perfect way of starting Advent. Because to me, baptism is when you look back on what Jesus Christ has done. Baptism is looking back on the fact that actually Jesus died on a cross, lived a perfect life, but died for the things I've done wrong. He took my shame, my guilt. He suffered in my place so that I can go free. It's like the, 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 the innocent suffer, the guilty go free. That's what baptism is all about. Baptism is looking back on your own life and saying, you know, I did some things I'm not proud of. I choose to die to myself and to live for him. Baptism very much is, we, we describe it, it's like a grave. We push them down in the grave. We don't hold them down forever because they come back to life in Christ. That's the picture of baptism. Looking back on what Jesus has done, but then also looking forward. Because there's a sense of baptism. You are raised in new life, knowing that one day you'll see him face to face. And to me, that's the beauty of baptism, which is, I think, God, why don't we baptize on the first Sunday of every Advent? We look back and we say, thank you, Jesus. We look forward with expectation. Esther Marie can be confident that Jesus will welcome her in, not because of what she's done, but because of what Jesus has done for her. That's what she's celebrating in baptism. Not, oh, I'm good enough or I'm great enough, but it's like, Jesus died for me. I've died with him. He's alive. I'm with him. He's coming back. I will be joined with him. Suddenly the Christmas story is not 24 days and then suddenly we get the big chocolate. It's not 24 days and suddenly we get the present. The Christmas story spans the whole of history. It starts, I would say, with God, even in the beginning, saying, I will send my son. It will finish if you read the book in Revelation, where actually God gathers us all up as his people and we celebrate with him forever. This story... Series we're looking at for four weeks, looking to Christmas. I just want to ask you the question Are you trusting Him this Christmas? Are you saying, you know what, actually, yeah, I listen to this song, I trust Him like Esther Marie? Maybe the question is, Have you been baptized? Have you said, look, I publicly want to declare I'm grateful for what he's done in the past and I'm looking forward to living with him in the future, in heaven. Let me throw the question out. Some of you say, I have been trusting him. In fact, you might say, I have been baptized. Then what I want to say is, are you living, recognizing you're in between two events? So even like a gift day like today, If you realize I'm living between these two events, the way you handle your money is very different. Because you're living thankful for what he's done and you're living knowing that one day he's going to come back again. And if not, we can get so caught up in the here and the now and what happens here and now. Well, it's actually if we realize that we're part of this story, but actually it's his story, the way we handle our money or our time is totally different. If people don't look at you and think you're mad, I wonder if we're living radically enough for him. Not that we want them to think we're mad, but actually, I genuinely believe that there's one big story. I was, uh, I was inviting my neighbours around. We're doing mild wine and mince pies for our neighbours. 
uh, next Saturday. So I was around inviting some of them, and we got chatting. And he said to me, oh, you don't really believe that, do you? I said, I totally believe it. You know, he starts going on, what do you mean, even the Bible? Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, he looks at me and thinks, fruitcake. And I think, great. <laughs> because I should be different. It should transform the whole way I am. You see, this is not just a little story about, oh, I'm opening that and I'm eating my daily chocolate. Actually, if I genuinely believe that God has got this great plan, if I genuinely believe that he sent his son for me, if I genuinely believe he's that interested that Christ would die for me and he's coming back, if I realize that I live in this spectrum, it changes everything. And that's the privilege, I believe, of the journey that we're on. I'm going to pray, and then I know that we'll be doing the admin of getting our children back. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this, this season where we look forward. I want to thank you for the excitement, the anticipation, so often of a December. Oh, Christmas is coming. Lord, I pray that we live with that kind of faith as believers. Lord, weeks, months, years, decades, I pray we still live with that. One day I will see him face to face. One day, literally, I'll be caught up in the air, as the Bible describes, to be with him forever. I pray you challenge us, those that have never trusted you. Can I trust him? those that have never been baptized, or those that just think, you know what, I probably live for myself most of the time. I pray that you challenge us this morning. How can we honestly look forward to Christmas and understanding the difference that he makes to our life? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.